Welcome to another episode of the Vineyard Nordic Podcast. The Vineyard Nordic Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with the latest news and inspiring stories relating to how God is at work in the Vineyard Nordic community. This is Maria from Vineyard Nordic Worship. We hope that you are having a lovely summer. We are missing spending time and worshiping together at our Nordic summer camp, but we are looking into different forms of gatherings for worshipers in our countries, and we will have new song releases in the fall. So stay tuned. In the meantime, you can listen to our latest release, the EP Faithful from Stockholm Vineyard, and you can watch the videos released with the songs from their creative community. Check out our Vineyard Nordic Gallery, representing many forms of creative expressions on artgallery.vineyardnordic.org and find all our songs and releases wherever you listen to music. that we are allowed to eat everything now is because we're allowed to eat with everyone. And it's not just because we can eat pork, yay, it's that I can eat with anyone that will eat anything and I can always invite them to my table and I can always go to their table. So for me, that becomes like, you know, like Jesus moved into the neighborhood as it says in the message, you know, he just, he comes and he lives and he eats and, you know, eating his way through the gospels. My name is Jon and I am the host for this podcast and today I'm speaking with Anna Forsberg. Anna is married to Perula and together they have three kids. In 2017 they moved from Copenhagen in Denmark to Malmö in Sweden to plant Malmö Vineyard. In this episode we're talking about hospitality, how we, through opening up our lives and homes for people, can show Jesus' love and see lives changed. Anna is for me a role model in this way of living and we had such an inspiring talk together. We also talked about leadership, what she's dreaming of in the future and some of her stories that shaped her life. So please join us and let's go. Welcome Anna to this episode of the Vineyard Nordic podcast. So good having you here. How are you doing? I am very good. Thank you for having me. This is so much fun. Yeah, it's summer when we are recording this and it's uh, so good and I'm a little bit warm in my uh, home office uh, where I sit uh, almost every day doing my work. So, um, but it's it's nice to have a break and do this interview with you. But let us know a little bit more of yourself and uh, your family and what are you currently doing in, in your life? Yes. So I am sitting in my house in Malmö. The kids are on the playground. Uh, I have three, we have three kids. I'm married to Perola. He's Swedish and um, Danish. And we live in Malmö and we have three kids, two girls and a boy. Um, they're out playing. And yeah, so I'm currently on maternity leave. So the wonderful Swedish laws. So I'm at home with our baby and our oldest is going to start school this summer. Um when I'm not on maternity leave, I'm working as a social worker and I work with refugees, mainly from Syria. And we're church planting. So that's mostly, that's why we're here in Malmö. Yeah. So I lived in Copenhagen uh, most of my life and we moved here three years ago. That's interesting. I hope we will hear more about that later on yes. in the conversation. 
but to start off with some uh, questions, what did you eat for breakfast this morning, or what do you like to eat for breakfast if you could choose? Aha, uh-huh. uh, I had a feel, which is the Swedish like sour yogurt thing that I love, and I had it with a rhubarb jam that I made. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> this feel must be quite Swedish, right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty Swedish. We can have like an equivalent in Denmark, but we don't, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what music or podcast are you listening to right now? Oh, um, I podcasts. Um, I always listen to the Holy Post podcast, which is a wonderful perspective on life and church and popular culture. And uh, I'm starting to listen to a theology podcast called Vox Podcast or Voxology that I really like. Um, and music-wise, usually I only listen to worship music, but right now I'm actually listening to BTS because this is a, like a Korean K-pop thing. And I've just been really impressed because they don't speak English, all of them, but they've still like had a major breakthrough in the West. So I think that's just an interesting thing. So we've been dancing to that here at our house. That's good. <laughs> that's a really ver- variety. <laughs> From church podcast to k-pop yes that's really good uh what is your definition of of leadership definition of leadership um i guess the official answer will be to be a servant um and i think that's what i think that it is it's uh serving others but also being one that's has the courage to go a little further and say we'll go this way so just uh, going up the mountain a little bit and saying this is what it's like come join us Mm. Being the one who breaks the ground, what do you say, break new grounds? Yeah, does things that you are not sure if you should do. I mean, church planting, so the leadership here at least, is very much like, we haven't done this before, could this work, can we do this, could we... Uh, So that's what leadership is like. Yeah, how do you find yourself in that role? Do you like it, or is it hard, or is it something that comes natural for you? Um, I think... Naturally, I'm more of a follower. So uh, I've always been in church leadership since I was a kid, actually, but I've never been the one in the front. I've been more like what we would say in things like you lead up to someone that you uh, that the leader that you help them and you encourage them and you're backing the things that they're doing. So I think that's what I've been like. That's my leadership experience up until now was mostly that uh, following someone else and and dragging other people alongside them. Um, But now that we're like more on the front lines, it's it's different. the pressure is different. Uh, and also like doing it in your marriage, which is an interesting and wonderful journey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's been, it's been very, very interesting. Uh, and also leading out of like integrity. I think that's something that's really important to me. You can't lead people in something that you don't have the time to do yourself or that you don't bother to do yourself. So you can't lead people in things that you don't want to do or haven't done yourself. So it, it puts a lot of emphasis on the life that you live with God yourself, uh, which is good. Mm. So would you say that leadership is maybe more of something that reflects, or I mean, to be a good leader, it always starts with yourself, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Like uh, being the being the one that you want people to follow, exactly. not just acting like the one you want people to follow. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I usually, when we have like, uh, things that we're working through in our own, like our own journey, it's always like, do I, does this area of my life reflect something that I could show everyone and be like, follow me in this. And if not, that's something that I need to be working on and we're not perfect. And there's always going to be more stuff that's being revealed, but 
you can't really shove that. That's what I find now, like with church planting, you can't just be like, oh, I'll deal with that some other time. I mean, when stuff comes up, you have to deal with it. So it's been much more of an inner journey than an outward journey, I think, in some in some aspects, but especially now during the pandemic. It's a lot of like leading yourself um, because you don't have a bigger church to rely on to lead you and guide the way. So you have to be constantly like, where is God going in this? And so just you can't just leave stuff. Mm. <laughs> you have to confront it and uh, and deal with it. Mm. Yeah. If we go to the next question, what are you dreaming of right now? What's your big dream in life? My big dream in life? Wow. Um, I think uh, I'm dreaming of a wholesome and healthy family and church life. I think one of the things that the pandemic really like put a spotlight off for us was that we were running at a very high pace. Uh, and we're like, both my husband and I were like, we like doing things and we like people and we're very extroverted. So you just invite people in and you do all these things. And that's part of what church planting is. It's like just connecting with people all the time and having fun and parties and all of these things. And then discovering when everything went from like 150 an hour to like nothing, like stop with the pandemic, just like having our bodies catch up with us and be like, oh, that wasn't really healthy in the long run. We can't do that. And we can't continue to do that. So I think my dream right now is definitely to um, live a family life and a church life that's not, you know, exhausting and um, that brings life. And where I actually want to say as a leader, like, this is the life I'm living, come follow. Like this, this is the way that I'm living with Jesus, come and be part of that um, and not be like, uh, like we would do before, like, oh, like now people are like ringing the doorbell. Now we'll be like having, you know, we're, we're, we're the good. church people. <laughs> so you're like, ah, now we have to like get everything in order and get our acts together because now we're with other people. But being more like, oh, my, my life is actually you can ring my doorbell any time of the day and mm -hmm. still come in and be invited into an atmosphere of, of this is a house where we follow Jesus. So I think that's that's probably my biggest dream. And I think during the pandemic it's been easier because there's been less outward focus like pressures and things that you have to attend to and in, there hasn't been like a million birthday parties and all other things that life can get really really busy with um we still had to go to work but it was like very quiet and calm and now that we're going back into more like normal routine or what was like before i'm very like hesitant to go back to things that I don't think was healthy for us or for our family or for the church. Uh, so I think my big dream right now definitely is to have a church life and a family life. That's like, that makes. Yeah. Um, I think that's so good. I mean, that's something that's been uh, in our discussions in, in our home as well. And in our church plant here in Varberg, like how, how do we not rush into life? You know, just being busy all the time like you you want to have time for friends you want to have time to get to know people you want to have time for for this spontaneous life i mean we really long for that and that's been on our heart for a long time uh, when coming out of very busy you know life schedule with many things all the time and really like you say that the pandemic season has really kind of helped us slow down a little bit and now we have to find how do we not just go back to how it was before how do we actually find a balance in life where we as you say we live life in a good way <laughs> in mm -hmm. a way that we want people to follow <laughs> if we go back to the leadership part like how do we as leaders or just as friends or people that other people relate to how do we show a lifestyle that is is a good balance between you know being busy and being <laughs> having free time or having time to just 
hang out with people spontaneously and not being, you know, you have to book two weeks ahead of time if you're going to meet someone. But you, mm-hmm. you actually exactly. want this, you know, next day time or even the same day, like come by us and have a dinner and we don't need to put up everything, you know, like you say, very nice. In our culture here, I think it's very hard maybe <laughs> to live this life. But I think if we do, I think it would be more relaxed. And uh, I think that would make the big change for all of us. I really like in my life when I've been around those kind of people that are like, yeah, this is my home. It's it's messy, but you can come here and have a coffee. I mean, those conversations and those people are the, in a way the most relaxed and the, mm-hmm. the people that you have the really deep conversations with. But I, I can find myself when you hurry around and you prepare everything so perfectly, then when you have the time for people, it's, yeah, you're so stressed or, I, I don't know, exhausted. So you don't, yeah. you can't be present in the moment. No, definitely. I feel like when the when we were asking God like what to do with us as a family before, you know, we felt the calling to to move here to Malmo and we're asking God like where do we live? Where do we live? Like where are we going to move because, you know, we had, you know, left everything. We had decided to move from Copenhagen. We felt that that was the next step for to move away, but we didn't know where to move. And so we we're in a Bible school and we we're like seeking God as a family and where do we go? And we didn't feel like he said anything and we we're like getting desperate because, you know, we didn't have a place to live. You know, we needed to um and then I was like crying you know just like so frustrated like where are we gonna go and then uh, God said to me like you're gonna be a family that radically like loves me and I was like yes we'll do that and then I was like but where you know I was like finally he's speaking and then he's saying this and I'm like all on board yes we're gonna love you and then he was like quiet again and just the realization that that um, leadership or, you know, my calling or like the things that I do in life with God and church is always secondary to the primary calling in my life, which is to him um, and to raise a family. And because now I'm in a family, so you to have, you know, in my marriage and with my children and in my parenting, you know, that we love God and we seek God. And then, you know. The place where we go and where we live, that will come and that will follow out of that. Um, but that's the primary thing. Um, and it, when that becomes secondary and the place and the things that I'm doing becomes the driving force, uh, then that's when it becomes dangerous. And I think that we we're probably in the tipping point of that again before the pandemic. So in a way, it's been a real blessing to take a step back and mm. be like, oh, what kind of life are we going to live? Yeah, I think a good question for all of us to ask is like, how do we not go back to to the routines that we didn't like before. Like now we have had time to actually reflect and look back on those moments or those routines. And like now we actually can choose to not do it, I think. So yeah, it's really good. Uh, What did you want to become as a child? Uh, I wanted to become a human rights lawyer. Oh, why? Or how come? Um, Because... Uh, well, yeah, I was raised in a family that was very uh, justice oriented. Uh, and so I've always been, my parents have been very deliberate in exposing us, I think, to, to injustices in the world, or maybe I was just particularly drawn to that. Um, so I just thought that that was the way to go. Mm, That's good. And the last question, what would you say to your 18 year old yourself? Um, yes. Uh, wow. That's a good question. Um, well, basically like you're going to be fine, but, um, I think that living for the audience of one would probably have been the best advice for me as an 18 year old. I think I want other people to like me and to, you know, 
and that's always been very important. So sometimes I've been driven more by the approval of others than the approval of God. Um, and I think that was definitely something that was going on when I was in high school. Mm. What would you like to say to people that are in that age, maybe that can, you know, see themselves in the description you tell us? Because, mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, it's a big problem there and it's, it goes over generations. So how can, do you have a good answer how you can avoid it or maybe a little bit avoid it? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, um, spending a lot of time with, you know, the people that you spend time with, you become more alike or you, you want to be more like them. So spending time with God is a, is, is a good answer. Um, but you're usually very, very, well, I at least was very social when I was a teenager. So it was also about surrounding me with good friends um, that uh, would point me in a good direction and, and to be, you know, walking alongside people and being very intentional when you're like leaving your family, like you're leaving your parents and, and going into you know, adult life and that you do it with people that, you know, love you and wants to, you know, want, want to walk with you in a good direction in life. So that would probably be it. Mm. Ah, that's good. If we move on uh, a little bit to, to hear a little bit more about your background, uh, as we, we usually do in this podcast now, uh, is that we would like to hear like three situations or happenings, stories in your life that have shaped who you are today and like what the turning points were in those, in those moments or those stories. Um, well, the first one is about 20 plus years ago. Um, the, I grew up in a family of faith and uh, my parents, the church that I grew up in, um, they had like a friend, like a church that they were friends with in Romania. So every other summer we would go there on like a missions trip or uh, something like that. And when we went there, when I was like 12 or 13, maybe uh, we went there and in this little village and we we're doing like a building project, uh, building a clinic uh, there. And then one day we went into the big city, um, Timisoara there, and um, we're just like, they're showing us around the host and like, this is the city and this is that. And then there were a lot of, so this is in the 90s. So there were a lot of like street children in, in Romania at that time after everything that had happened there in the 80s. And so there were a lot of kids just living on the street. And I noticed that some of them didn't have hands and feet. And so they told me that uh, sometimes other like adults would, cut off the hands or the feet of children because they would get more money when they beg if they were mm. uh, in So I think that made such a strong impression at me, like the different, like the different life that you can grow up in. Like I was a child coming there and that's really not uh, my story. And then we we're going around the city and it was like pouring down rain, like heavy summer rain. And then we went by a church and uh, they weren't like, there were, tons of like street kids gathered around the church they weren't inside but they were like there was like this roof and they would all sit under there during like this big rain pour and and uh, they were like they were high on glue and all of these things and but they still felt like the church was a place that they could go to and that they could sit and that was safe and they could sit under that roof in the rain and I that's really affected my way of looking at church so that's the place where people that are hurting when life is totally messed up and wrong uh, that church is the place that you're supposed to be able to go um so I think that was a big like in terms of like what is church that was a big turning point for me mm. and then fast forward 10 years I uh, came into Copenhagen Vineyard and became part of the staff there and we had um, you know Helle that you've interviewed uh Sam Wilson, she's a wonderful mentor and leader to us and friend. She's just wonderful. Um, and she had 
on her heart that she was pastoring Copenhagen Vineyard at that time. And it was on her heart that uh, we would do something with sex trafficking as a church. And then instead of just starting up your own thing and not really knowing what you're doing, she got the advice to like seek out whatever organization in the town is already doing something with the group that you want to reach out to. So that's just good advice that you don't just start up something, but you ask like, how can we help you? So we asked this organization, like, how can we help you and go alongside you? So we had been for a few years um, just um, sending volunteers to this organization. But then one Christmas, um, we were given the opportunity to have like a lot of presents, like Christmas presents for vulnerable women that came from a Swedish organization to Copenhagen and we could, you know, pass these out. And so we thought, well, uh, now we've been getting to know like this environment, so we could maybe go and just give these Christmas presents at massage parlors and and in uh, strip clubs so we're a group of of girls doing that or women doing that um and so we're we called a strip club to ask if we could come and give these christmas presents and they said uh a bit hesitant you know like yeah. sure you can come yeah um and we came and they're like we're gonna i think it was like they opened at 10 and so we came at 9 30 at night uh so we're like i don't know how many we were eight ten uh, women from the church and then we would go and we had these Christmas presents and we would give them which really became the, the beginning of, of a ministry that's still going of going into uh, massage parlors in Copenhagen we came here to the strip club and just went in and gave these Christmas presents but then the owner that we had called beforehand was like when the church called I wasn't sure like what could I expect like why would the church come here and like she was like I didn't know where you're gonna come with a bomb like she's, that's what she actually said <laughs> Um, and we can, you know, say, you know, you know, like we, we think that the church in many ways has just brought a lot of condemnation into this. And, mm. and we think that that's not the way of Jesus. Like he would have not been condemning, but he would have been loving. So we were able to like share that with her. But that whole thing just made me think, you know, how church can be um, like we should surprise people. In, in our, you know, when they expect condemnation, we should bring something else mm. because we bring Jesus. Like in the, I was reading this week with my life group, um, the the story from John 4 about the Samaritan woman. And so we're just reading Lectio Divina this and someone is reading it aloud. And it says like, she, like Jesus comes and asks like, will you give me a cup of water? And she says like, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And the thing is like, she's reminding Jesus, like, you're not supposed to talk to me. You're not supposed to like me. Uh, you're not supposed to want to have fellowship with me. Like I, he shouldn't borrow her cup to drink from because Jews would not share cups with people that were not Jews. So she was like reminding him like, hey, mm -hmm. you're, you're not really following the rules here. Like you're supposed to not like me. You're supposed to condemn me. And I think that if the church could be the same in where like we're going to people on the margins in our society and just like thinking of your city, like what are the people in the city that would be like, if the church comes, they will surely come with condemnation or they won't eat with me. They will not share my cup. You know, and then saying, well, that's exactly where I should be, because that's where Jesus would have been. That's where he is in the story with the Samaritan woman. And so for me, it was the same when we're in that strip club many, many years ago now that the expectation, like I understand why they would think that the church would come, maybe not with a bomb, but at least with condemnation, you know, um, and we just brought, you know, Christmas presents for everyone. And we left like before it opened. It was just like a short time of just saying you're valuable. Here's a present. Yeah. So I think that's probably one of the. But, but I think it's so interesting what you share, like how the church or has become this kind of, you know, people have so many 
so many thoughts about it, like yeah. so many assumptions about what church is. And actually, you and me are doing this uh, pioneer school, a part of church planting, and and how we're talking to people that are maybe not familiar with Jesus and faith, but everyone has a picture or a assumption of what church is or what Christians are, because that's something that they have grown up hearing about here and there, and you know they have their own. But uh, instead of like, how can we actually show the opposite? How can we by our life, show them that what they think church is, is, is not, or maybe it's part of it, but it's more than just the structures and all our activities and meetings and programs and events. It's about something deeper. And also, mm-hmm. like you say, with that, our perspective should be, you said it earlier, that the perspective should be that who am I in God's eyes, firstly, and who am I supposed to be for him, not what am I supposed to do in the church or in the Mm. organizations that I'm part of. Like it has to start with God and what is God or who is God and who is Jesus and how can I show that to the people around me? And as you say, challenge kind of the pre-assumptions about faith and Christians. I think Mm. this is something we have to learn more about and do more because I think that's the only way into that Jesus can reach into people's lives. If we only come with our, you know, condemnations or our structures, it won't really show the real thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. And like who who he is, not even like we bring church or structures. I don't think that people necessarily know, know how much church. No, we have. no, that's true. <laughs> but, but, um, but what kind of a person are we following? Mm. And and we're following a person that that was hanging out with people on the margins, not just with the safe. Mm you know, crowd. Um, yeah. And also, as you say, like challenging ourselves to yeah. live out that life we we want people to live. Like you say, it's, it's around leadership. Like we need to live the life we, we are teaching or what you say, live as you learn. Yeah. And for me, I mean, some areas it's so challenging to just live out what you, what you learn or teach <laughs> or tell others. Uh, yeah. But I, th- I think that's the only way. To do definitely yeah so so I think like you say your first story was when you were a little bit younger and then you had this story from the the work in Copenhagen vineyard and and later on the next story yes well then fast forward another ten years we moved here and um, we knew that you know in the beginning the team was just Pearl and I and we had one child and then we had another child and then we started so it was. Not, you know, let's start a church service. That was not really the point, but like, what can we do? We can party with people and we can get to know people and we can get to know neighbors and just, you know, random people at, you know, uh, our children's preschool and everything. Because we didn't know anyone, so you just get to know people. And then we felt like God was leading us into like just doing parties and having fun that church and life with God basically is fun and something that you want to, you know, who doesn't want to be invited to a party and who doesn't want to invite someone to a party. Um, so we had uh, parties in our garden and inside and everywhere. And and so we had a Christmas party when we had just started out. And this Christmas party was just like crafts for the kids and, you know, Peppa Cocca, like the <laughs> the ginger biscuit in Sweden that you do when you decorate them and just like hanging out and having some Christmas food and and stuff. And then a woman that we had gotten to know and become friends with, she had then invited another friend. She had lived in Sweden from the Middle East. She's from the Middle East. And so she'd lived in Sweden for 20 years. And she came, you know, to her house and uh, and she told my husband, like, oh, I've lived here for like two decades. But this is the first time that I'm in a Swedish home. 
Um, and Pearl was just shocked, you know, two, like 20 years, like how is that even <laughs> possible? But she was part of our party and we like continued to have fellowship and friendship with her. And then we actually just like cried about, you know, that why, why is that that we can have like open doors to the country, but when it comes to our own houses, you know, we won't open the door to have friendship and fellowship um, at home. But then a year later, we had a new Christmas party. This was right before the pandemic. And I had invited some um, refugees that I had gotten to know uh, just the week before we had the party. And I said, we're having a party in my house. You're welcome to come and just, you know, join this Christmas celebration thing with us. And they came and I remember they were standing here in my living room by the Christmas tree and they were like touching it. And I went over and I was like, yeah, hey, you're looking at the Christmas tree. And she was like, oh, like, I can't believe like it looks so real. Like you've got really special fake Christmas trees here. And I was like, oh, well, it's actually a, like a real Christmas tree. Like we went as a family out into the woods and we, we got it home and they were like, oh, they have real Christmas trees and they were just like so excited. And then she said to me, um, when we came to Sweden, like they had just come two, three, two or three weeks before that. She was like, when we were coming here, everyone told us like in Sweden, it's beautiful, but the people are cold and you will not become friends with them, but it's safe. But she said, but I'm so surprised. Like we've just been here two, three weeks and already we're invited into someone's home. And I felt like from that first Christmas party of like, it was like a redemption story for me. Like we should not wait to invite, like no one should wait 20 years to be invited into someone's home. You know, we can, we can do that much sooner. And the effect that that has, like, you know, that she's gone 20 years without being invited. And then another one comes two weeks and then it's like, oh, now I'm invited. And this is what Sweden is to me. And she wrote me actually a text message this week, the woman that, that had just been here for a few weeks when she came and they were moved away from Manma quickly. So we, they, but I just keep contact with them on WhatsApp. And she wrote to me like, oh, you're our first friends in Sweden. You know, and the, the beauty that the church can be a place for people to have a first friend. I mean, regardless of whatever faith background you have or, you know, but that that's an open door into the church, but also just into our homes, into our lives and that people are welcome here. Yeah. So just the, you know, the difference between the two parties, you know, 20 years of waiting to be invited and two weeks mm. of waiting to be invited. And that's the difference that we can make in people's lives to actually just invite them in. Mm. And it costs me nothing to invite them to a party. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And I mean, speaking about that, like hospitality and around that, we're also going to dig down a little bit more in this conversation because I, I know it's very close to your heart to like, how do we open up our lives for people? How do we open up our homes? Like we've been talking about it earlier. Like how do we, uh, that everything has to be perfect and just invite people and be more non-Swedish, maybe if you can say. <laughs> can you share a little bit more about that? How does that like... How does that been shown in your life or how do you try to work with those things in your own life? Um, I think that's one of the blessings about church planting and moving into a town where you don't know anyone is that you realize that if you're going to make friends, you're going to have to be a friend. And so I think from the beginning, we thought, you know, we have the Scandinavian rule, I think, just it's also in Denmark and it's definitely in Sweden, that you like, you get to know someone and then you meet them many times before you would suggest that you would do something with them. Like, oh, well, then we can meet at a cafe, maybe with other people. And then, you know, it's like this whole routine that you have to go through. And I remember some, remember like asking someone to go to our house after just meeting her once. And she was like, oh, do you do you do that in Sweden? Like, do you can is that allowed? And I'm, I, I 
yes, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, everyone is welcome uh, into our house. And you don't have to know someone, you know, for ages before that's possible. Or just even something practical that's been, it's just like meeting friends of friends and then just inviting them right on. Like, oh, you can come to our next party or, you know, do you want to meet at a playground? You also have kids, like, let's do that. Um, asking for people, like hanging out with a parent at a, like, this is my life, like hanging out at a playground. <laughs> um, but you're like hanging out on the playground and you're having a really good conversation with a family and your kids are getting along. Like, why don't you just exchange numbers and be like, oh, maybe we can meet, you know, next week at the park again. And just initiating friendships with people. Because I think it's um, it's a lie that everyone's life is like, I don't need another friend or I don't need to connect with people, but we think that way. So we just shy away from that. Um, and, and we're like, no, we're here to meet people. That's why we moved here. Yeah. Uh, we need to connect with people. So let's just do that any way we can. So just going into, you know, I remember my husband is really good at this. He's like, he would go into like these um, open preschools where you take your kids when you're on maternity or paternity leave, you can go and just like hang out with other parents. And he'd always be like, yeah, come, like, come, you know, join us. Like our church would go to the place ground like let's just come and meet my other friends and you can get to know them um, and just uh, connecting people in that way I think that's really good I mean like you say when you move to a new city or a new area it's it's something you have to do <laughs> if you want yeah. to get to know new people but but also like being the one initiating to to new friendships because like you say you think people doesn't want new friends or but if you I mean, the reality is the opposite, I think. The most people want new friends. They they want people in their lives that they can relate to, that they can be close to. and Yeah. And also just, I feel like with the church, a lot of like, because we've done so many parties, it's something that's easy to invite other people to. So actually it catches on like, oh, like people that have been invited to our house. And then the next time they come, they bring people. I mean, this is another, um, it's, it doesn't have to be more complicated. You know, one, she's always like texting me like, oh, can I invite my this and this friend to the thing? And I'm like, the church is always open. We don't ever do, I think the church or the party, our house, we don't have a building. So it's just like, oh, we're meeting at someone's house and it's never going to be, oh, this is the time for the, you know, for the Christians to meet, you know, we don't have those. So it's like, if you're meeting with us, then you can always bring someone and there'll always be like, I always make way too much food. But that's because I want there to be enough for, you know, whoever then shows up. Mm. How can we learn to be better at, at this, to invite people? I mean, if people are listening, having, you know, they want to do this, but they find it hard, they find it strange, they maybe, it's, you know, it's embarrassing to <laughs> mm. ask for a friendship. Mm -hmm. How could we do? Um, I think one of the biggest or hardest lessons that I've had to learn with church planting and that I'm still learning and struggling with is the idea of rejection. So everything in me wants to run away from that because I don't, you know, no one likes rejection. Um, but a big part of it is like being able to be vulnerable and being like, Ooh, you know, and taking that step of like, I'm inviting you to this or I'm, I, I want to be friends with you or I want to connect with you further. And then if people don't do that, then realizing because I've had that you know you realize oh well I survived that that's okay you know but all the times then it makes it worth it because when people appreciate it it's like oh yes I mean I thought that they might be really like upset but they're actually just thankful that I would want to invite them and once you learn that you've done that a few times just like um asking to pray for people on the street that's also something that you have to like 
if you have a word for someone, you're like walking past someone, you just feel like you have to talk to them. You know, you get this Holy Spirit inkling. You're like, oh, and then to do it, like the first time it's like horrible. And, you know, I've had people tell me like, no, I don't want you to pray for me or, you know, no. Um, but then the times that they do and they say yes, I've never had someone be rude to me. I, <laughs> but but um, the thing with rejection is that you, you know, th- that's something that you're so afraid of. And then when it happens, like my experience is like, oh, that wasn't too bad. And, and because the times that people are then thankful, and you know appreciating that you took the time to say that you would pray for them or that you would talk to them or you know have people be like surprised that you know are you just coming to talk to me like for no reason um so I have this thing about talking to old people here in the neighborhood where we live because there are a lot of like (laughs) old people um and uh, in the pandemic, they've been so isolated and so lonely. So I would like two meters from them. I would not go close. I know they don't want to be close to people, but be like, oh, this is a lovely day. Or you're out walking or, you know, because they're walking with their, you know, strollers. <laughs> and you're like, oh, like, good job that you're out. And they're just like so thankful that someone would talk to them. And, you know, maybe someone would be like, why are you talking to me? Like, and they would reject me. But hey, I mean, all the times that then, you know, someone gets, you know, that smile, that's worth it. And the same thing with, you know, inviting people to a party or, you know, initiating friendship with them. I mean, if they don't want it, you just have to, in a way, brush it off. Um, and it's easy to say when you're just like talking about it this way, uh, like um, it's safe. Um, but I think that the the blessing for me, it's been to invite people that have been so thankful has been like totally outweighed any sense of rejection or shame in that. Mm. Do you have some more stories from your home when inviting people that you can share? Sure. I mean, so it's been a year and a half (laughs) because of the pandemic, obviously. So I think hospitality, I had to think about this when we were talking about this, because we're like, oh, we're like a church, uh, you know, church planting that does parties and then, you know, the pandemic and no parties and no meetings. So, So I think I've had to rethink hospitality and not just have it be hospitality is in the sense of inviting people to my house. And I don't think that other people, you asked me before, like, what should people do that wants to do this? Maybe you don't have a house where it's, you know, where you can invite people. I mean, I've lived in small, tiny flats with girlfriends and it wasn't like, because. so so there can be different life circumstances, but you can still be hospitable in the way that you meet with people where they're at. So being hospitable for me is also being the one in your workplace where there's like, you have a new colleague come in and no one is really talking to them. Like you're the one that initiates that. We're meeting with like Samuel's um, and my son starting school and we're meeting with all the parents and, you know, some people like start gathering in little groups and stuff. And then there's always people that no one is, you know, talking to or that take up their phones and, you know, go into that and just like daring to be like, oh, well, they're scrolling their phones. It's because they're uncomfortable in this thing. But I can be the one to be like, oh, you know, my name is and what you, you know, and have that conversation and dare to do that because then the atmosphere that you would want there to be in your church plant or in your home, you bring that to other places because now we're not having people in our house. So I do like, I think of ways I can be like do digital hospitality now because this I mean it was so frustrating for me in the beginning of the pandemic because it's such a big part of the way that I do life and mm. just think about ministry and relating to people is like inviting mm. and then you 
can't do that. You can't cook them food, but then, you know, you can still, you know, hospitality is also not something that just happens at your house. It's also something that happens in other people's houses so that you're willing to go to someone's house and eat with them and have their food. Like the story we talked about with Jesus earlier, that he initiates with the Samaritan woman, like, will you give me a cup to drink? And then I'm actually saying like, oh, you know, my children invite themselves over to other people's picnics all the time when we're out in parks. Like they're just like, oh, they have food over there. I'm just going to go and take some. And I'm like, as a parent, you're like, no, Mm. but actually being more like, oh, like let's go over and talk to these people and be like, yeah, they can have a cracker and let's talk about this instead of always being like, no, that's, Mm. um, which is like my first reaction would be to no, don't do that. But actually engaging with people in hospitality that goes both ways, Mm. being willing to, you know, I've gone to when you have Muslim friends that are celebrating the Ramadan, for instance, that you'll be like, oh, I I would love to fast with you um, this day. And I will go to your house when you break the fast in the evening and eat food with you. Like, why would I not do that? Mm. I mean, fasting is something that we have in common and that I think is, you know, a beautiful practice that we've kind of forgotten in our part of the world. So I think that it goes both ways. So Mm. it's like doing hospitality in your own house, but also just with people that you meet. Yeah, I think that's so good. To not just wait, but instead see how can we work around these circumstances that are right now. Exactly. I feel like for me, um, connecting to people of other faiths has been very much part of our, you know, experience of living in Malmö. Malmö is a very obviously multicultural city, and you know, half the people here are not Swedes at least, and there are like 180 languages. You'll hear that everywhere, and so that's you know part of the fun. But just engaging with people of other faiths and being very open to that community and fellowship you can have with them. Um, I think that's something that I've learned here, like to pray with other people that are, you know, <laughs> being much more open-minded to to being in relationship. And there is such like so easy to have spiritual conversations with people that have not grown up in Sweden, because then like that's just part of life. You know, then spirituality is not something that's very private or you shouldn't mention. You know, you could just be much faster in that. And so that's uh, uh, something that's been very fun mm. uh, with living here and, and having friends from all over the world in this city. Mm. That's good. Okay, thank you so much. So good having you here. And before we're going to end, we have some last questions that I would like you to answer if you can. So if you were to design or write something on a billboard for the whole world to see, what would it say or what kind of illustration would you choose there? So it could be something like a one-liner, or it could be a word, or it could be an illustration or something. What would it be? It's maybe some, I'm not a creative person, but something like, you know, you're welcome at the table or something with table fellowship. I think that's one of the big things for me when in the beginning, when we lived here, I was reading, you know, when Peter is like giving all this food, you know, it comes down this vision and, and he realizes that he can have fellowship with Gentiles. I think for me, that became very like a big thing that that the reason that we are allowed to eat everything now is because we're allowed to eat with everyone. I don't think that there was necessarily anything wrong with the food, but that was a way of being distinct because that's what the Israelites were. They were distinct from other people. 
And then the opening up of being able to eat with everyone is like, that's, that was huge for me. Like, oh, it's not just because we can eat pork, yay. It's that I can eat with anyone that will eat anything. And I can always invite them to my table and I can always go to their table. So for me, that becomes like, you know, like Jesus moved into the neighborhood, as it says in the message, you know, he just, he comes and he lives and he eats and, you know, eating his way through the gospels. We, we, I heard this expression the other day and it's so true. Like he's always going from party to party and to, you know, inviting himself to other people's mm. homes and, and doing these things all the time. And he does that with me. He comes and he eats with me, like with my, my kids. When there's food on the floor and everything mm. is messy, Jesus is sitting at this table where, you know, and in the same, like I go to other people's houses and I, I share that's like communion with them. You know, communion has become this, you know, I give you bread and I give you wine and it's become this sacrament or, you know, but it was just like, it was a way of like eating with other people and loving on them. And so I think that would be it with God, you're welcome at the table. Mm. He will eat with you, Mm. you know, and I, as a church person, as the Jesus follower, I will eat with you. Mm. So I think maybe that, but I don't know what that would look like in a billboard, but you know. But that's good. I think it's good. I think it's also summarized a lot of what we have been talking about and what's on your heart. So I think that's the perfect illustration. (laughs) And uh, out of what we have been speaking about today, maybe you already mentioned that in your billboard, but what do you hope and wish would challenge people in the coming time ahead? Um, I think now that we're going out of restriction mode and like rethinking the way that we should do life. I hope that there will be no stress in being hospitality and bringing people into our houses, but still doing it with great boldness and inviting people that would maybe not have been invited before or that haven't been invited for the past year and a half and to have fellowship with them. So that's what I'm hoping. I was uh, the other day I was listening to this uh, Lectio 365 with a 24-7 prayer movement. They have this, uh, you know, daily devotional. And uh, one of the written prayers was that, you know, that I give you the keys to my front door. And Jesus, I give you permission to just mess up my schedule, basically, and have anyone come in. And I thought that was such a challenging prayer for me, like, oh, I want everything to be very ordered. And, you know, I want our house to be clean when people come in. But like, giving up on that and being like, oh, you know, I'll invite people to join us in the life that we're living now and not just on my terms and have God mess up my schedule. Yeah. So maybe a little bit around like how maybe ask God, like give him permission to come and change things or mess up my schedule. And also like remind us to ask him, like, who could I invite to my table this day? Or who could I invite to my table this week? Uh, Who can I be a blessing for? And what person can I go to and ask God, like, this week, what two or three persons do you want me to bless? Yes. What two or three persons do you want me to have a dinner with, either in my place or at my work or at the local lunch place or at their home and, and try to explore that? Yeah. Definitely. Yes. So where am I going to be? Like, who am I going to show hospitality to? And who am I going to also show hospitality to in going to their house? And and who am I going to be, you know, be interrupting and saying, you know, you're not part of this conversation. Please come join us in this conversation. And it's just like inviting people into that because it costs very little, but it makes a big difference in how people perceive other people. Yeah. Thank you so much again for being with us today. And I am very inspired and I think people will be that are listening to this episode. And I guess if people are coming by Malmö, they might be able to have a dinner at your place. 
Yes. I shouldn't promise everyone that listens, but uh, <laughs> you know where no. they are. <laughs> you can Google up them. Uh, we, yeah. we don't need to give any address here, but uh, <laughs> they are living in Malmö and you're very welcome to. <laughs> you are very welcome. Yes. So thank you again. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want to follow the Vina Nordic movement and everything that is happening, you can go to Facebook and Instagram and follow us under Vineyard Nordic. You can also help us by subscribing to this podcast on the different podcast platforms. When doing that, you will also get an update every time we have a new episode out. So again, thank you and see you again next time. Bye bye.